Wonderstruck is coming to Cleveland. For this two-day music festival, see top artists including the Lumineers, Vampire Weekend, and more. Get your tickets now at wonderstruckfest.com. First, you know, want to give some shout-outs. First, our sponsor, which is the Wonderstruck Music Festival, taking place July 9th and 10th at um, Lakeland Community College in Kirtland. I just want to let everyone know, there's still a chance before the end of the month they're doing a promotion. You buy a ticket, you get another ticket for $1. So if you go to wonderstruckfest.com, you can do that uh, awesome festival. I uh, want to give a shout-out to everybody who helped spread the word for this event. We obviously have a, a great crowd, beautiful day. I um, want to shout-out the Wixie 1260 online. Yeah. People are over here. Really helped promote the event. They're shooting some uh, video, which will make the light of day at some point. So that's really exciting. You need makeup? You know, you didn't, I, we didn't let Billy know about the video because he would have been a half hour late getting his makeup done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're here to talk about Wixie 1260. Um, Yay, <laughs> uh, just a little bit before my time, so I'm going to throw it over to uh, this awesome... The old timers. Yeah, uh, we're going to throw it over to these guys, uh, this awesome panel that we have. Uh, I'm going to introduce them first up. Uh, veteran of TV, uh, Cleveland Radio, a historian, knows pretty much everything about radio history in Cleveland, uh, Michael Shevsky. Give it up. Thank you. Very honored to be here. I want to plug Mike's book because I was reading it today, and it is very detailed about the history of Wixie. Uh, that's Wixie 1260, Pixies, Six Packs, and Superman. And you get that pretty much anywhere online, right, Mike? Or uh, here. Or, yes, we have some here. Yes, it makes a great Christmas gift. You know, not too early. <laughs> get Billy and Blair to sign it. It'll be worth a lot of money. There you go. Uh, for our next panelist, I think all I have to say is... The Duker, Larry Murrow. Yeah, that's it. That's it, brother. <laughs> All right, Ray, I'm, you know, run this. Everybody knows this. Radio legend, communicator, teacher, uh, one of Wixie's Supermen, uh, and in the Radio and Television Hall of Fame, an inductee. So thank you so much for doing this. Okay. Delighted. <laughs> thank right. you. And last up, I like to call him the coolest guy in the room. Another radio legend, another former Superman, Billy Bass, people. Yes! <laughs> yeah! Also in the radio TV hall. Or, as we used to say, we say Brother Billy. Brother Billy. Brother Billy. <laughs> so let's talk about Wixie. Uh, Mike, I want to start with you. Sure. You know, we go back, and, and, and to give Mike credit, uh, he brought this idea to me, and it was an amazing idea. Talk about what's so special about Wixie, because... You know, this is before FM radio. This sure. is when Wixie ruled Cleveland. You know what? The, the amazing thing about Wixie radio, when it went on, on uh, the air in 1965, uh, you know, we had some great stations. We had, my gosh, KYW, WHK, wonderful disc jockeys like Johnny Holiday, who's going to be here next month, and, you know, Jerry G and people like that. You got this tiny little station, WDOKAM, that's 5,000 watts. Now, there's, I'm not an engineer, but I know this. Once it goes up the stick, the antenna, it's about 3,500 watts, and it was a directional antenna, meaning I lived in Bedford, which is right on the Summit County line. As you went over the Summit County line, the signal deteriorated. It would boom into Ontario because it was directional. The thing is, it was such a phenomenon with the promotions and the people, and especially the people that came out. The, the, the jocks were as big as the, certainly as the, uh, the artists they were playing. 
And, uh, you know, keep in mind, too, this is right around the time of Beatlemania, the British Invasion, Motown, Beach Sound, all that kind of stuff. It was a harmonic convergence. So we, we had something really special here. It was, uh, I, I was very fortunate to talk to Norman Wayne, who was the owner, along with Bob Weiss and, uh, and uh, Mr. Zingali. And they, they told me, they said that, you know what, radio stations used to send their jocks in a car up to Cleveland, listen, take on as many notes as they could, then go back and do exactly what they were doing there. So these were the guys that made the magic. And to say there was magic is not an under, you know, understatement. They call them supermen for a reason, really. And, uh, th th and the promotions were just outrageous. You know, I mean, to think this, a 5,000-watt radio station forced a 50,000-watt KYW, later WKYC, and then uh, WHK to change formats. You're doing something right. And then in 1966, they got the Beatles. The Beatles at this brand-new radio station. How did, the, how did the established stations do it? Well, smart people and smart jocks. You know, I want to ask Larry and Billy, because you guys had gigs yeah. before going to Wixie. What was, you know, how tough or what was the radio business like back then? Um, well, Top 40 had just been introduced for the most part. And the format along that time was called More Music, More Often. And we were playing 20 songs an hour. And Norm Wayne even found a way. Now, the songs in those days by the Beach Boys, the Beatles and things, they were two and a half minutes long. Norm Wayne said, I think we're playing 17 songs an hour. Maybe we can play 18. So we'd take the song in, put it on the turntable, speed it up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so we could, so we could get that. one more that, song That's a trade secret, in. Larry. <laughs> Larry, so, we didn't really do that, okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, but, but to be on stage, of course, with Mike and, and Billy, I, I, I have this famous Billy Bass story. You know. Um, Just one? Just one? So... <laughs> Now, I, we had the early, the early part of the basketball team was called the Larry Morrow Wixie All-Stars. And we played, we played all the high schools, and we never lost a game. Because, because on the team was Paul Warfield. <laughs> and Paul would bring with him other stars that played with the Miami Dolphins and the Cleveland Browns. Well, Billy had, Billy had been at the station for maybe a year. Billy was our best jock. There was no doubt about it. He played football better, bas baseball better, and basketball really better. So now we're going out to Lily White Lakewood. <laughs> and we're wondering at that time how Billy's going to do in Lakewood. So I decided to introduce Mike Ranieri, Lou King Kirby, Chuck Knapp, the wild child, and save Billy for the end. Now the place is packed. The high school is absolutely packed with kids and everybody, teachers and stuff. So now I saved the ending, and I said, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the newest addition to Wixie 1260, Billy Bass. They bring the house down. <laughs> they literally bring the house down. And then Billy, to make things it. worse, or even better, goes out and scores 45 points. <laughs> And embarrasses all the teachers, embarrasses everybody. What's your name, Billy? I wanted to tell that story. So my man, brother Billy. <laughs> well, let me tell you how this happened, though. So uh, Larry and Luke and Kirby and the child, they used to get promoted. You remember the Wixie Super 60 survey? You guys remember that? Well, their pictures were on it all the time. My picture was never on it. So I go to Norman Wayne. I say, Norman, wh what's the deal? How, how come I, my picture's not on there? He said, well, are you crazy? You're black. 
And I said, Norman, you can't say that. I mean, you, that's ridiculous. He said, Billy, you're back. You're black. I want you to know you're black. Now, if, I, if the audience has no idea you're black, but if you let them know that you're black, it's going to be terrible. So after Larry does this unbelievable introduction in Lakewood and the place goes nuts, <laughs> now all of a sudden uh, Norman thinks, okay, well maybe I, maybe we could. <laughs> so he puts, he puts my picture on the Wixie Super 60 survey and I can't tell you how horrible that was. And Norman said to me, you know what though? I told you, I told you so. Let, let me add this though. I went to interview Norman Wayne for the book and he had his, this room that was like an office where he was like, and he was telling us, and I remember he had his hands, and he told us that story. And he said he never got down the embarrassment of saying that to you. He, was, he said that he, he regretted saying that. But uh, he loved every one of the jocks, including well, you, Well, let Billy. me say this. I, I never took it that way. He was protecting me. And I, and I understood that the moment that the, uh, the word got out. He was, Norman was my guy. I love Norman. Loved you know, him. Mike early talked about the signal was awful. Oh, yeah. At night, from 7 to midnight, you took your little transistor radios, put them under your pillow in the night, and you could listen. But um, I remember one night, uh, I always took care of the uniforms. When the basketball game was over, I would take the uniforms, go get them clean, and get ready for the next game. I brought some of the players back. Billy may have been with us. I'm not sure. We're, in, we're standing, you know, sitting in my car in front of Wixie 1260, at 40th and Euclid, and couldn't hear the radio station. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night, yeah. and couldn't hear the radio station. That's, that's how bad it was. But, well, but that's the the, well, that's the amazing thing when you read the book and you look at the history that lower, you know, the signal wasn't as strong as the stations you guys were competing with, yet still worked your way to number one. Think, think about the ratings here now. This is something that Norman Wayne told me, and he actually, he thought he said this to you, Larry, but it might have also been to you, Billy. You probably got the same lecture. One day he gets the ratings. He said, what is going on here? Now, mind you, Wixie had 20 competitors, AM and FM. So he called. He said he thought it was you, but it was. he called and he says, Larry, you're losing audience. What's going on here? Listen, you better get in, sh get in shape or you're losing audience. And he said, but I'm number one. He said, you only got 49% of the audience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think he gave that to every jock because he mentioned well, what, you at one point. What he did with me, I went in after the uh, Lakewood situation, I went and asked for a raise. <laughs> and Good move. Un unfortunately, I only had a 32 share, but you know, 32 yeah. share, give me a break. I said, Norman, I got a 32 share. People like me, I need a raise. He says, Nobody's listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> no, 32, what's that? That's nothing. Nobody's listening to you. That's every third person, every third person listening to the radio is listening to me, <laughs> but I got no raise. <laughs> the, um, what was really interesting about that time is that uh, I was on from 10 until 3. That's when all the housewives listened. And they were all home then. They stayed home and took care of their kids. Nobody was working. And uh, to think of, of, of a couple of promotions, one of them was called Larry, Larry, What's in the Box? I would describe what the box looked like. He had to guess what it was and what was in it. And, and the other one was called Wonder What's Cooking, sponsored by Wonder Bread. I'd give, out a rest, I'd give out a little ingredient, and then the ladies would call in and try to guess what it was. When you think of those promotions, people would laugh at you today. <laughs> but, but now, the, so now the, this is a wonderful story, talking about Norm Wynn. Okay. So now the ratings go, they really jump up from 10 to 3. And I had jumped up to a 50 rating. Wow. And I remember being so proud of that 50 rating. 
still making $7,000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Norm said, come on, Larry. So, so now the, the 50 rating, we, he, Norm Wayne took it on a weekend, and the 50 jumps up to an 80. So I have an 80 share rating at the time, the large, to my knowledge, the largest rating ever, ever given in the city. Now I slip back to a 50. I get a, I get a note from Norm Wayne saying, Dear Duker, we will no longer put up with this kind of slippage. <laughs> that sounds well, like Norm. That's, that's Norm. <laughs> well, the thing, too, is, Larry, you were, you, we go back, go back a little bit. You were number one or one of the top DJs in the market before you even came to Wixie, right? We, you were in Windsor. And yeah. Well, th th that's a, a really interesting story. <laughs> uh, many of you may or may not remember, but my nickname, The Duker, came from the fact that I worked at Duke Windsor in, in uh, CKLW. And CK, because it was a powerful station, came right across yeah. the lake. So when Norm Wayne called me, he said, I want you to come to this brand new radio station called Wixie 1260. They'd only been on the air, I think, for about six months. And I said, um, I, I have not heard of you. He said, well, we're brand new, we're top 40. And he says, we have a guy by the name of Jack Armstrong from 7 to Midnight, and we're gonna fire him. And we'd like to have you come and be our new 7 to Midnight guy. And I said, okay, I'll do it. I needed the job, because I had been fired from CK. And so, um, so then he called me back a week later and he said, we decided to keep Jack, so you can't come. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to work in Cleveland anyway because if you, I worked in the fifth largest market, which was Detroit-Windsor, you don't go from Detroit-Windsor, a fifth market, to the eighth market. So I thought, look, I'm going to New York, Chicago, or LA. I'm, not, I'm going to skip Cleveland. So then he gives me a call and he said, we decided to keep him, but our midday guy, is going to move on. Would you like to do 10 to 3? And I said yes. And when I drove down 77 and saw all those terrible pipes down 77 and uh, the steel factories, I said, I'm not staying here. <laughs> I'm going to go on, but I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to get out of here as soon as I can. And then I fell in love with Cleveland and decided to stay. 10 to 3, and, and it was... Maybe, maybe, surely the best move I ever made in my yeah. life is to stay here. Absolutely, Larry. Yeah. Let me piggyback on that story. So, so here I am at, at WHKFM, which was the precursor to WMMS, playing Inagata DeVita. And these guys are on Wixie, the, the biggest radio station in my mind in the world. Yeah. Nothing was that big. And here was Larry Morrow from CKLW. And then we had Chuck Dunaway from WABC New York. And we had Chuck Knapp from WLS Chicago. And we had uh, uh, John, uh, what's his name? Uh, John Larsh? No, no, the guy you were just talking about. Can't think of his name. What? You know the fast talking DJ that was the, that was. Oh the, yeah. Oh Jack Reynolds. Jack. Jack Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jack. He was. Uh, Jack he, Armstrong. So so I get this call from Norman Wayne that says we want you at Wixie, and I'm thinking, are you crazy? Because I had no radio, nothing about me was in radio. I had no knowledge of it whatsoever. I knew how to play underground records because the DJ didn't do anything but play the records, but they didn't have to perform like these guys had to perform. So every night I was scared to death. I mean, I'm thinking, oh my God, CKLW, he must have, he, 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 
you, you, to come to Wixie, the best radio station, they must be attracting the best talent in the world, you know, from, from New York, from Chicago, yeah. from Detroit. And then I realized they all got fired from those stations. <laughs> <laughs> so it was okay. I could do this. I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> uh, you know, wait, hang on, because I want to talk about that. When I came to Wixie, it was in, it was a, September of 1966. It was a really cold day, and I came, and it was one night, and Norm Wayne brought me into the radio station to show me the station, and he said, uh, we're going to hire some other guys. Now, in those days, if a radio station was purchased by another company, all the DJs were fired, yeah. and they would bring on all new DJs. So that's what happened at CK. So I was fired, so I come here. So he introduces me to Lou King Kirby, Lou had been from Texas at a 50,000 watt station. 50,000 is the greatest, is the biggest, um, uh, yeah. what am I saying? Anyway, the, yeah. Yeah. Broadcast. yeah. And that's, that's as big as you get. So he had been at a 50,000 watt station in Texas. I came up from a 50,000 watt station in Detroit, Windsor. So then I get introduced to the Wild Child, who had been at a 50,000 watt station in Chicago. So then, uh, so then, here we are, the three of us at that time, all retreads. <laughs> and Norm Wayne said, I'm going to make you guys stars. And we thought, we were stars. <laughs> we were stars. But, no, but Norm Wayne didn't believe that. Uh, but it was you know, I just want to point out something about promotions. Now, keep in mind, this was a different time, okay, in the 1960s, okay? It was a transition, granted, you know, but we were, this is far from, you know, the, the political correctness we had today. There were a couple of promotions that come to mind. Billy, I think you hosted one on Public Square. The, was it the Hot Pants Contest? It shut down Public Square. <laughs> but the all-time great one, uh, along with one, because that, that challenged it. Uh, there was a woman in New York who would get off the subway station on Wall Street. She was very amply endowed, and she would drew a crowd every day. As she got off the subway, there'd be huge applause. So Norm Wayne says, we can do better than that. So he said, we're going to have this contest, and it was on 9th and Euclid, and uh, Francine Gottfried was the name of this woman, and sure enough, she wins it. The crowd shuts down the city. So the jocks didn't have a stage. They were standing on top of a truck, and the cops come up, and they said, who's in charge? And the cops said, Norman Wayne. So they went up to Wayne. They said, do you have a permit for this? He said, how do you get a permit for a riot? So they said, well, get him out of here, quick. But then it turns out, he, when we were interviewing Norm, he showed us these letters. They were trying to get them actually in Playboy, you know, the winners of this contest. So that's some, that's some prize, huh? You Billy, guys what do you... something with these, with these promotions. I was, not, I was not a fan of those kind of things. No. And, and, the, uh, and then Norm Wayne said, following that, he says, Duker, guess what we're going to do? We're going to have a miniskirt contest. Oh, yeah. And we're going to have it at Public Square, and he said, we, and I said, Norm, I said, I'm not, I'm not really into that. Come on, man. He says, we'll be on a teeny little stage. All, because I was worried that if it was going to be a big stage, you can see all the little 15 and 16-year-olds. <laughs> and and so, so I said, okay, I'll emcee it. And, of course, the rest of us are all there. I get down there, and it's a 12-foot stage. Oh, boy. Now, just to give you some idea, the Francine thing was the kickoff of all this. But we had 100,000 kids there at Public Square. Yeah. And all the young, and, and, and all, of, of course, 99% of them are all young boys looking like this. <laughs> wow, this is great. 
So how do but, you know that, Larry? Were you out there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and th th those were, but but Wixie, but there was nothing like Wixie 1260 at the time. And to be honest with you, we didn't know it. You know, we didn't know that Wixie had turned out to be a juggernaut. That it, it not only was big ratings in Cleveland, but we had at one time the top ten, uh, one of the top ten stations in America, mm -hmm. Wixie 1260. And again, none of us knew it. But I have to tell this one story. Billy talked about we couldn't make any money. Nobody made money working at Wixie, other than the 25 bucks we made on doing record hops. Right. <laughs> so, so I remember the the uh, Cleveland Press had a a contest, the best disc jockey contest. I win the contest. And so now I'm making $9,000 a year. And I go into Norm Wayne and I take the, the Cleveland Press article, which was on the front page of the press, and I take it into Norm and I said, Norm, I'd like a raise. He said, for what? <laughs> I said, Norm, I, I came here at $7,000 a, a year. I'm up to nine. And, I, and I'd like to make more. What do you want? I said, I want $20,000. He said, you're out of your mind. And I said, uh, Norm, I said, okay, just let it be. So he says, no, let me call my wife, Nina. Yeah. He calls Nina, and he says, the duker is sitting here, and he wants a raise. And Nina says, well, how much does he want? He said he wants 20000 So then Norm says, Nina wants to talk to you. <laughs> He puts Nina on, and Nina says, don't you dare leave that radio station without $20,000. Yeah, we love Nina. <laughs> yeah, yes. So now I go into Joe Zingali, who's the toughest of all of them. Yeah. And I said, I said, Joe, I said, Norm sent me in to talk to you. He said, um, you want $20,000? I said, yes. He said, how much money did you make last year? I said, 9000 No. How much money did you make doing all those commercials? You were on national television doing B.F. Goodrich for the Super Bowl. How much did you make? I said, that's unfair. Anyway, I told him the number. It was a big number. And he said, and you want $20,000 from me? Get out of here. They finally, they, the three of them agreed, gave me $19,999.99. <laughs> Wouldn't give me the 20. <laughs> I wanna, Billy, I want to ask you, have, we're talking promotions, and you've got some on this paper here. I'm curious well, now. Do you guys remember Jim LaBarber? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, well, I called him up. I told him what we were doing. I said, Jim, come on up. And he, he couldn't make it, but he sent this letter. So may I read it? Yeah. Wixie, first Wixie's first Christmas parade had Tim Conway as the Grand Marshal. You guys remember that? Yeah. And it was on Euclid Avenue with several recording stars. The paper said 100,000 people turned out for the second Wixie Appreciation Day at Geauga Lake. Gene Pitney was our headliner, and the paper said, get ready, 120,000 people showed up for the parade. It was absolutely unbelievable. He was standing on stage looking out at the sea of people. He was one of uh, the Wixie, he was the first teacher at the Wixie School of Broadcasting. He says, don't, he doesn't forget that one billboard we all had with the naked lady. You remember that? Um, that would, he's, it, he said, it got so many complaints, it stopped traffic. <laughs> so many people have asked me about Wixie, why it was so special, and how did it knock out the big 50,000-watt radio stations? 
And the answer is Norman Wayne. I want to say, to take it back a little, Billy talked about being, you know, when you, when you joined Wixie and seeing these bigger names, the guys came from bigger stations. But, you know, I read both of the books, Michael Shevsky's book and Larry's book, and you both have these interesting comments on Billy. Um, Mike, you, you talk about him, you mentioned the book, him bringing an FM mentality to AM radio. And then, Larry, you have this line, if I get it right here, that Billy on the radio... He wasn't trying to win audience over court an audience. He was like a hunter trying to catch his prey. <laughs> and I thought, that's pretty awesome. So well, you know, we had, to be honest with you, we had a lot of great voices. You know, Mike, Mike and I want to get back to the Billy story, because to be honest with you, the best voice on the station was Billy. There was no doubt about it. Billy had the best voice. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Larry. But Mike Ranieri was the guy who, who, who got all of us really moving in the morning. I would get there at 10 o'clock, about 10 to 10 every morning, and Mike Ranieri, we'd do a changeover. And one day I showed up. I, like, I used to love to dress up. So on the opening day of spring, I dressed up, and it's going to sound awful, but I thought it was cool. <laughs> I had a pair of white, white shoes, green socks, a green pair of pants, white shirt, green and white tie, and a, and a, a green and white seersucker coat. Mike Ranieri, right at 10 o'clock, says, what do you dress like? <laughs> and, I, and I explained what I, what I was dressed, dressed like. And he said, you look like the president of a lizard factory. <laughs> and, then, and then another day, and, and, and we did something every day. Another day, I, I, I show up at 10, and I had a, a, a beautiful leather um, coat on and he said where'd you get that coat and I said I just bought it and he said my father had that coat on the seat of his coat on a seat of his car about 20 minutes ago he said it looks like you just stole it <laughs> so, I won't get into it but I, we used to play tricks on each other and the, the one guy who stood out from everyone was really the wild child and one day um, and I won't go into all the details because it's not an, a, a good ending. <laughs> but the, we celebrated Christmas, and, um, and all the gifts were laid out under a tree at the radio station. And the wild child would come in at night, you know, work from 7 to midnight. Well, the next day, everybody just started opening gifts. And if you got a pair of socks, one of the socks was missing. <laughs> if you got something else, a half of that was gone. So Norm Wayne calls, and he said, Something's wrong. He says, I think the wild child stole all those, stole, he opened all the gifts, took something out of each one of them, and then put it back. So Norm said, would you do me a favor? I just lived a couple, a couple of miles from the station. So I drove down. I walked in the station, and I couldn't believe what I saw. I walked into that little kitchen that we had, and the sink was ripped off of the wall. <laughs> and then, um, and I brought my wife with me at the time. And then she said, what's going on? I said, I don't know. All the windows had been broken. All the windows had been broken. The place was an absolute mess. The turntables were turned upside down. And I walked in to see the wild child, and he's standing there doing his show with the headphones on and not a stitch of clothing. <laughs> that was the wild child. And I remember calling Norm Wayne, and I said, Norm, I said, uh, something's wrong. And, and I said, I didn't find any extra pair of socks. 
But this place looks like a hurricane went through it. So now Norm calls the program director, George Brewer, and he says, I want you to fire him on the air. Fire him right now. So what George didn't realize is that Wild Child put him on the air. So George is on, said, Wild Child, as soon as you finish, take your headphones off, leave them there, and never come back again. You're done. Well, sadly enough, all those kids are listening. 5,000 teenagers show up the next day at 40th and Euclid demanding to have the wild child back, and it turned out to be a front-page story, and hired him back. <laughs> but he was, he was something. And I, I won't go into all the other stories because we'd be here all night, but he was a wild guy. <laughs> you know, I just want to mention that I tracked down the wild child. Oh, did you? And he was living in Ketchikan, Alaska. You can't get there by road. There's no road. You have to fly in or take a boat. So his son told me he lived above a bar. So I called the bar, which has had the phone, and I said, well, I want to leave a message for Dick Kemp. Yeah, the guy said, yeah, we get these all the time. Listen, give me your number. He'll call you back if he thinks it's important. One more thing. He won't call you back. <laughs> I said, all right, well, we'll at least leave the number. But he lived up to his name, obviously. Sure. I wanted to ask you guys um, about the Beatles concert, because oh. that seemed like the moment where Wixie became the station, or at least sort of stands out. Were you there already, Larry? Well, sadly enough, no. Okay. What happened is when he hired me to start, I believe it was September 23rd of 1966, the Beatles showed up five days before. So, I, so of, 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 all the, of all the acts that I've, that I've met through my entire career, and, and probably all of them, never had the chance to meet the Beatles. And, that, and sadly enough, and I never let Norm Wayne forget it. So. <laughs> In our audience right now is Tom Kehoe, and he has a ticket to the Beatles concert from... Uh, Hang oh, on to that, has it. Oh. Okay. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, the, my. The Beatles from, from Municipal yeah. Stadium. Good to, and Mike, that was... How much was that? 550 to see the Beatles. Can you believe it? <laughs> you know, I just want to mention that Norm Wayne and uh, Zingali and Weiss, when they were at WHK, they brought the Beatles to Cleveland. But then when they, they were able to get around everybody else through savvy promotions, Wixie lands the Beatles. 80,000 seats, the Beatles get all the money from the, the gate. And then they were going to get the, uh, you know, the Norm Wayne and, and the station was going to get, besides publicity, was going to get concessions. Then that article comes out with John Lennon saying... The Beatles are bigger than Jesus. The Catholic Church comes out and says no good Catholic would go to that would go to that concert. The ticket sales come to an absolute halt. They're going to Pittsburgh, Toledo, any place that did not have a Beatles show. So finally, they said we're going to lose our shirts. We're only six months old. So Norm went to New York, went to the Hotel Pierre. The Beatles are there with Brian Epstein, and he said, "Look, can we lower this? You know, you know, lower the, the quota here. We can't fill eighty thousand CCC. I know. Well, let's go." So they go in the back room. The Beatles are playing Monopoly, smoking cigarettes, drinking beer. I said, guys, this is Norm Wayne. Norm, how are you? Can he lower the, you know, the demand? Yeah, sure, we don't care. So they were able to still sell 20,000 tickets. Norm met the Beatles probably half a dozen times. Mm -hmm. He never had his picture taken with him. And his son, David, who's a well-known producer, said, Dad, what got into your head? He said, I always thought they were coming back the next year. <laughs> and they never did. So, yeah. But, I mean, still, they were, you know, this was an amazing time. They sold 20,000 seats. But in Cleveland Stadium, that's not a whole lot there. And Billy, you were at WHK when Wixie got the Beatles. Was that sort of a signal to you that Wixie had become the station? No. <clears throat> I knew Wixie was the station because I was a listener. I, I, I loved the music. Uh, me at WMMS, 
made no sense whatsoever to leave WMMS where I could do whatever I wanted to do to come to work at Wixie where I had to follow a format. But I want to, now that this, now that I know this is going to be a podcast, I mentioned Norman Wayne's name, but the name I really want to mention is Jane Scott. Jane Scott wrote What's Happening. You guys, did you guys ever read What's Happening? I'm sure you did. Well, Jane Scott came down to the music rattle before I went to WMMS, and we were What's Happening. That, that little record store across the street from Cleveland State University was selling all the underground music. So Jane comes into the, to the uh, record store and says, I've been hearing about you. What's going on here? Well, a lot was going on here. Joe Walsh was in the back room playing on his guitar. Jimmy, Jimmy Fox was in the back room. Glenn Schwartz was in the back room. A lot was happening there. So Jane Scott said, well, you know, I think, uh, I think I'm going to make a mention of this in the newspaper. What's your name? I said, my name is William Bass. She said, William Bass? Nah. You're Billy Bass from now on. <laughs> and, and, and I became Billy Bass. And, and Jane wrote about Billy Bass. And I think that's the only reason why Norman Wayne took in any interest in me, because I had no business being on the air with these unbelievable jocks, the, literally the best in the world, were right here at Wixie 1260. And I was scared to death. <laughs> Fortunately, one of the jocks was Chuck Knapp from WLS Chicago, another one of the big stations. And Chuck Knapp saw that I had no business being on Wixie. I can't imagine. What did you guys think when, when I came to Wixie? Because you guys were so important. What did you think about that? About what? I'm about sorry. this guy coming f to work on Wixie that had no top 40 <laughs> experience Well, whatsoever. you know what? The, um, the first thought was, who's Billy Bass? <laughs> <laughs> who's Billy Bass? Um, no, you know what? I, I don't think we gave much thought to it. Really? You know, we really, I don't think we gave much thought. You know, they, at those days, they weren't coming and going either. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd all been there for a long period of time. But, uh, but, when, you, but when Billy got on air, of course, it was the first time uh, that I had worked with anyone that was African-American, and then that was Billy. But as I mentioned earlier, he had a better voice than all of us. And I used to get on air, and I would come out and say, hey, I'm the Duke or Larry Morrow, da-da-da-da. Here's Billy. Hey, I'm Billy Bass. <laughs> I'm Billy Bass. And, and you all know, uh, please forgive me, men are different than women. But I thought that Billy had three testicles. <laughs> when, I'm Billy Bass. That's with you, Billy. I'm Billy Bass. <laughs> well, I think it was Jane Scott that, that brought the interest to Norman Wayne, and I got a, got a chance to, to work with these guys. But every night that I opened the mic, I was scared to death. I knew I could, there was no way I could match these dudes. And uh, Chuck Knapp, God bless him, I wish he was here tonight. But Chuck Knapp took me under his wing and he said, listen, I'm going to show you how to do this. And he, he actually spent time with me. He, he was on from uh, 10 to 2 and I was the all-night guy. And Chuck would spend the whole night with me teaching me how to run the board. And he would say, just be yourself, but you got to learn how to run the board. You don't know how to run the board. <laughs> and he kept showing me you know, the, the things I needed to do. So I want to say that I would never have had this opportunity to work on a radio station were it not for my friend, Jane Scott. Yeah, hallelujah. You know what, an interesting point, too, is that some of the sponsors became stars. Rick Case, 
Larry Robinson, Larry J.B. Robinson. I mean, these guys couldn't walk down the street because they were on Wixie, and you were promoting them. Yeah. So, and I mean, Larry Robinson became, you know, like this. Uh, he was diamond you know, man. the diamond man, absolutely in the Schofield Building. And I mean, you know, he became a star just because he was on Wixie. But you know, you guys built that station into look what it was. And I wanted to ask Larry. I wanted to ask you. Uh, and Mike, you might know the answer to this too. Who, who, and how did they come up with the Superman name for you guys? Oh, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, all I know is that one Norman. day, one one day we're Wixie guys, and now the next day we're Wixie <laughs> Superman. But I want to I want to reflect back to Larry Robinson. Larry Robinson's father had just died, and it was just called at that time Robinson's Jewelers. So this guy walks in the studio to do a commercials, and I said. And you are whom? He said, I'm Larry Robinson. And I said, well, I'm Larry Morrow. And he said, uh, I'd like to have you introduce me. And I said, well, what do you want to be known as? He said, the Diamond Man, remember? So I said, well, here's Larry Robinson, the Diamond Man. And then I did his commercials for the next 10 years, I think. This is an interesting story. Now I'm, I'm going to reflect back on probably Avery Friedman's with me. Avery, how many years ago? 10? 8? eight or ten years ago. I'm doing a show coast to coast from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And there's a guy, and, and by the way, Larry Robinson uh, had preceded me, obviously, in death. <laughs> Larry died maybe ten years ago. And, and I never knew that there was, a, a, that my voice sounded like his. I didn't know that. All I knew is that we were both Larry's and we, we both had low voices. Well, so now, this guy is standing outside the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the window there by the studio. And, and I t looked at Avery and I said, Avery, this guy has been staring at me for two hours. Let's go find out what's wrong. So I opened the door and I called a guy in and I said, you know, you've been looking at me for two hours. Is there something wrong? He said, I thought you died. <laughs> and I said, I don't understand. He says, aren't you Larry? Morrow? And I said, yes. Yeah. I thought you were Larry Robinson. <laughs> because, and now that didn't only happen once. About a month later, I went in to get a cup of coffee at Bob Evans. I get the cup of coffee, and the guy looks at me, and he said, I don't get it. I said, what? He said, you died like six months ago. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm Larry Morrow. And he said, oh. So now the best one is, about a month ago, I walk into the bank. The guy says to me, I'm so glad you're here. He said, I loved your jewelry store. <laughs> so now, so, so I'm, I'm going, and I decided to play along with it. So he said, I loved your jewelry store. I said, would you have any of my jewelry? Oh. And he said, not really, but, I, but, he's, but my wife does. And he said, we really did like your jewelry store. And I said, well, that's great. And so then uh, he was going to give me a credit card for something. So I said, and put my name on the credit card. So he started to write Larry Robinson, and I said, no, here's my, here's my real name. <laughs> and I handed him the name, he said, Larry Morrow, who are you? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm Larry Morrow, not Larry Robinson. And then, of course, he's now he's on his knees apologizing. Oh, I listen to you on the radio all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what stage were you on? <laughs> oh, I'm curious for you guys, um, you know, being younger, what it was like to be on the airwaves at the time you were in the 60s because of everything that was going on. I think you, right when you came to Cleveland, it was during the Huff riots. Um, yeah, and we'd only been on the air six months when I came. 
And and you have this story, you know, I think it was 69 where you actually went to Vietnam. I'd love for you to tell that story because that, you know, was a huge moment yeah, for you. Uh, I had been in the Marine Corps uh, and um, our program director was Bill Sherrard. You know him well, Billy. Uh, and so Bill Sherrard and the, pro and the promotion director, Linda Scott, called me in their office and said, and it's the height of the Vietnam War, 1969. And they said, you were in the Marine Corps? And I said, yes. And they said, how would you like to go to Vietnam? And at that time, the Vietnam War was just starting to be played out on national television. And it wasn't very cute. It was awful. And so I said, no, I don't want to go. And I said, why would anybody want to go to Vietnam? And they said, well, we have 220 Clevelanders there. And we thought it would be a great idea if we sent you over there to interview all of them bring the interviews home for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we'll play them on the radio. And I said, you'll never get permission. So we get turned down from everybody. Our congressman tried, uh, everyone that we could think of in Cleveland that had any power at all, including all of the politicians, said no, you can't go to Vietnam. So one day, I get a call from the Pentagon, and it was Colonel Melton, and he said, is this Lawrence Morrow? And I said, I don't know who you are, but I haven't been called Lawrence since I was baptized. And, and he said, your request to go to Vietnam is somehow ended up on my desk. And we're going to send you to Vietnam to interview all the Clevelanders. And when you're there, because President Nixon would like to know how all the servicemen, both um, officers and enlisted men and women, how they feel about the war. So, so he said, so we're going to send you to Vietnam, and then you'll make your report after you interview your people all over Vietnam, make the report back to us, and then we'll give it to the president. Now, that'll help him make a decision. So um, I get my papers in the mail, and they're addressed to now. I was a corporal in the Marine Corps, meaning I was on the lowest level. You go private, and then PFC, private first class, then corporal. But but being an officer is this far up. It's 25 years and on, and on and on. So I get, I get the mail, and it's addressed to Colonel Lawrence D. Morrow. How many people in the service here? Any people in the service? Okay. So being a colonel is a big deal. It's like being the president of the United States. So I called the Pentagon back, and I said, you've made a terrible mistake. You've addressed me to, to, with all my papers addressed to Colonel Lawrence D. Morrow. He said, well, when you get to Saigon, we'll explain. When I get to Saigon, he said, because you're an officer, because you're going to be going all over Vietnam, if you get captured, if you're an officer, they'll negotiate to get you back. But if you're an enlisted man, they'll just shoot and kill you. I said, so it was so cool for me to, to, to see um, first, first lieutenants, second lieutenants, and captains saluting me. And I thought, that was so cool. Well, you met with, up with some of those guys back in Cleveland, didn't you? Yes. As a matter of fact, this guy did me the greatest favor. I interviewed 65, uh, I, I interviewed more, but only 65 uh, people uh, gave me interviews. Some of them just said, no thanks. And so um, a couple of years ago, Channel 5 did a story in the 50th anniversary oh, that's right. of Vietnam. And I did not have any of those cassettes, none. And, and those cassettes, by the way, when I got back, 
were sent to all the families of the men and women that I had interviewed for Christmas and Thanksgiving. By far, the best promotion that I believe this town has ever done, ever. Yeah. You can imagine. And it put Wixie, it took Wixie, we didn't need to go with bigger rating, but it took us to another step. Yeah. And, and the guy who did the story for the Cleveland Press, I know the plane dealer, Bill Hickey. I remember Bill Hickey taking me to lunch and he said, I've always hated Wixie 1260. I thought those dumb little promotions you did with the, with the, the, the bosoms and the, 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 the contest with the skirt, I thought they were terrible. This, I think, is probably the best promotion anyone has ever done in this town. So, and so now um, it's, the, it's the opening of the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., and I told my wife that I think we should go. Because there were some that I had interviewed that didn't make it back. So now I go to the Vietnam Memorial, the, it's called the Veterans Vietnam Memorial, and I was able to touch the names of two or three of the men and women who didn't make it back. Yeah. So that, and, and, and I often get asked, of all, the, of all the, the 40 years that you spent in Cleveland, you know, what is the one thing that you remember the most? And I always single out my trip to Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was special. I, I want to, you know, we're going to open this up. Amazing story. And when I read that, it really touched me. And, and I wanted you to be able to tell that. Um, for everybody, we're going to open this up to questions soon because I'm sure we have some really great questions with this audience. Um, Mike, I wanted you to put a stamp on this because, you know, you touched on it earlier, but Wixie was the station that changed the game. And Billy, you can talk about this too because you went back to WMMS and obviously that took off. But how did Wixie really set the stage for radio moving forward? You know what, because uh, the, the, the name keeps coming up from both of these guys, you know, and it's Norm Wayne and the management there and great promotions. And you know what, there was great management there. You know, my, my wife Janice and I went out to interview uh, Marge Bush. Marge Bush did not look like a music director, not the kind that you would see now. I mean, she was just like almost, I, I hate to sound almost sexist, almost like a housewife maybe, you know, but she was very businesslike. She knew what she wanted, and she had a great ear for music. And there were some other great people too, Eric Stevens, people like that. But uh, you had just great people on and off the air. And plus you had the music that was happening. The city was sort of like in a transition, but this is the thing that brought us all together. You know, I did want to bring up one po point, that you worked with, uh, obviously, King Kirby, Lou Kirby, as did you, Larry. Marge Bush, Jan and I went out to visit Marge Bush. She said, I got a secret to tell you. At the end of the show, remember Luke King Kirby used to say, are you ready, my surf? And this girl would say, I'm ready, my king. That was a voice actress. She was 14. <laughs> they didn't let Larry know that, you know. But really, I mean, what a scandal that would have been. You know, he's taking a 14. But really, quite honestly, it was just a harmonic convergence. Everything just lined up with the greatest personalities, greatest music, and a great audience that needed something like this. That's what you guys brought it all together. So both of these guys, they were supermen, really. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Jan, and there she is over there. So Jan, stand up and show everybody your T-shirt. <laughs> the Billy Bass run to help. There you go. And Daffy Dan on the back. And Daffy Dan is in the house. Daffy Dan, Daffy stand up, here. Daffy. Daffy Dan, stand up. Come on. Oh, there he is. All right. <laughs> By the way, that 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 uh, Billy Bass run to help actually raised over a hundred thousand dollars for the Amer for the Cleveland chapter of the American Red Cross. Well, that wait a minute. You're fun. not telling us that was five dollars at a time, too. Yeah, five bucks at a time, but Amazing. it was also nine years. Yeah, or was it eight? I can't remember. It was a lot. You know, there, there, I, I want to single one person out who 
uh, who is here tonight. Um, with the 40 years that I spent on the air, there was a young man who worked with me at Wixie 1260. And um, he was just a young kid, liked to hang around a radio station, 13, 14, 15 years old. And when I left Wixie 1260, um, he said, would you sign a little, a little picture of yourself? Uh, so I'm going back to probably, I left Wixie in 1972, so it was right around that time. I signed that picture and signed a nice message to him. And he then, he later left uh, Wixie. Uh, he became a, a writer for a, a magazine and then came over to 3WE, became my producer of the morning show over there. And then he went on to be a big star at, uh, at one of the TV stations here. His name is Jim Stunnick, and he's here with me now. Jimmy, Jim. please just raise your hand. One of my dearest friends in hey, the Jim. world. Hey, yeah. Jim. You know, if I could just bring up one story. Norm Wayne had another station, uh, and it was Wix-Z, W-I-X-Z in McKeesport. Yes. Yeah. And it was a tiny little station. And uh, maybe, I don't know, you guys might uh, find He told me that if somebody got out of line in Cleveland, they got sentenced to Wix-Z, you know, <laughs> out in McKeesport. But they had a 17-year-old morning guy. He was 17 years old. So Norm Wayne says he's at one of these NAB conventions, broadcasters conventions, and the C's part. This big guy comes walking over. He says, Mr. Wayne, I want to thank you uh, for giving me uh, my start in radio. He says, great. Who are you? He says, well, I was Jeff Christie. Now my name's Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> so, can you believe that? Yeah. But uh, he started out. Norman is not he's... happy about that now. <laughs> no, no, not at all. He was on Nixon's enemies list. Yeah. He said it was the proudest moment of his life. I want to uh, I want to get to the questions for, for if you have a question we have some Mike Wranglers here uh, raise your hand and we'll get to you. All right, we're going to go back here. Tell us about the Chicken Man promotion. Oh. Larry, you tell him. Well, the when I I, I I never really understood Chicken Man, but I will tell you that it was one of the most popular things that we ever did. You know, Chicken Man, he's everywhere, he's everywhere. And it became maybe one of the best promotions we ever did. And, um, and then one day, Chicken Man just disappeared. But the good news was the voice for Chicken Man happened to be Jim Runyon. Yeah. Yeah. Remember at the end of it, he would, they would tell the story about Chicken Man. And at the end of it, to sum it up, he would go, well. And I thought, where do you get a voice like that? Like Billy, you have to have three testicles to have a voice like that. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, Chicken Man... Chicken Man became a very, very important part they of it. They ran once an hour. Yeah. 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 But, I, but I want to tell, before you get another question, I don't want to go, uh, go home without telling the story about how wild the wild child was. How wild oh, was he? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I just had the story in mind, and then the Chicken Man got me off of my story. It's the drugs, um, Larry. Should oh, well, have quit a long time I'll ago. think about it. Go ahead, Billy. Go All right, ahead. we'll take, well, we take the question to... and see if it, it, it pops back up okay. right here. Well, well. Well, <laughs> look who's here. It's Carl. Look at that. Hey, Carl. Carl Mundy, ladies and gentlemen. Carl Mundy. Carl Mundy. You know, pay, payola was a big, uh, <laughs> a big deal back in radio. Uh, no, just kidding. This is a two-part question. Uh, the first one goes back to the Beatles in Cleveland. Yeah. And I always heard the story that uh, Norm Wayne and uh, Zingali 
had been in a meeting in some back room with the Beatles people, and they had told the Beatles brass that uh, that they had secured the rights to Municipal Stadium, and the Beatles said, "Oh, great, okay." And this is when I guess one of the, I think WHK was going to get the Beatles at yeah. that point, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, as it turned out, Wixie got it because they told the Beatles that they had secured Municipal Stadium when in fact they hadn't. Is that is that a true story? You know what? Norm said that they actually had to go to the bank and get a loan, and the loans and, and the loan officers. Okay, let me get this right. You, you want a loan to get Cleveland Stadium? He said, Yeah. I said, What are you getting in return? They said, Publicity. And they said, You're out of your mind. <laughs> but they were able to get it. But then all of a sudden, boom! The John Lennon remark, and yeah. we've got eighty thousand tickets to sell. Yeah, there was some. Uh, they, they, there was some savvy uh, promotion on that their part. Yeah. I, I just wonder what you guys thought of the state of the music business and the radio business today. Uh, terrestrial well, the radio. radio business is a lot different than it was. I mean, there's, there's, they're still top 40, but it's all programmed and all syndicated out of one location. So one guy is making the decision on what songs you hear, like Kiss, Kiss yeah. FM here in Cleveland. But the, but the days of CKLW playing the, the songs that were popular in Detroit and Cleveland playing the songs that were popular here, those, those days are gone. Yeah. And by the way, that, that's too bad because Cleveland became the rock and roll capital of the world because we were the first on all the big hits. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, if it happened in Cleveland, it happened all around the country. Yeah. So the promotion men from the, the record companies would pick up on that, and if they got the song played on Wixie, it was a sure thing that yep. that song was going to be a hit. Again, I want to trip, uh, con uh, to compliment Marge Bush because she had the ears to Absolutely. pick the right songs that we played. It was yeah, great. Be because some of the greatest songs out there to this day are the you know the local and the regional songs that you know that maybe the rest of the country never got to hear. Well, we were on Time Won't Let Me first. You, you guys remember oh, Time yeah. Won't Let Me, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Wixie was right on that right away in a Cleveland band, yeah. and, and that just went sure. bam. Yeah. Well, you guys are great tonight. Thanks for being Good. Thank you. Okay. I, I, remember my I remember my wild child story. Oh. <laughs> Norm Wayne loved to have meetings uh, with the agency out of New York. would be an ad agency that would come in and... and, and be able to uh, write commercials uh, for all of the advertising agencies for us to prom really promote our company. And so Norm, he did this often, but he said, okay, the three guys are coming in from New York, and I want you guys to meet us, at, and at this time, the studio was in Seven Hills. And the way to, to get to the studio was a long drive, probably 200 yards long. Wild Child had a motorcycle. And so Norm Wayne said, I want every one of you guys to show up in a suit and a tie to show all the people from New York that we're really serious people here. So we did. I'm all dressed up. Lou King Kirby's all dressed up. Everybody's dressed up. Norm Wayne, as the meeting's getting ready to start, he said, where's the wild child? And nobody, nobody knew anything about it. And all of a sudden, here comes a motorcycle driving down those 200 yards with the wild child with nothing but a pair of underwear on. <laughs> and so he gets, he, he gets to the meeting and everybody's laughing. You know, the guys from New York saying, who's this? Well, that's the wild child. Now we know why. 
And, and Norm Wayne said, why didn't you call and say you were going to be late or were you going to be dressed like this? He said, I didn't have a dime and there was nowhere to put it. <laughs> well, you know, well, the wild See, child was the victim of a drive-by shooting in Cleveland. He was yeah. doing a promotion where he was milking a cow in front of Channel 5. Oh, yeah. Somebody came by with a pellet gun. We got it. He's, that's enough of this. But the thing, you know, and everybody said, well, that's not really a drive-by. You get hit with a pellet gun. See if you like it. <laughs> but that, you know, it was getting dangerous at that point, you know. I want to say something else about the, the music, Carl. Uh, one of the things that made uh, Wixie great was that you, it w we played the best songs no matter what genre it came from. I mean, you could oh, hear yeah. from Brenda Lee to Patsy Cline to Dionne Warwick to Aretha Franklin. It didn't matter the, you, it, whether it was R&B or country or uh, uh, what was it? Stevens. What was that Stevens guy that did the... Ahab to Ray Ahab, Stevens. Ray yeah. Stevens. I mean, it was, we played novelty records. We played everything that we thought or that, that Marge Bush knew the Cleveland audience would respond to. So that, the music more than the DJs, I think, was, I think was more Wait a important. minute, here's a song you might remember. This was one of the craziest songs ever. You've got to listen to it on YouTube. You're not going to hear it on, on radio. The guy actually went on tour. It was by a guy called the Legendary Stardust Cowboy, and it was called Paralyzed. And it was just this guy screaming, and he's strumming this, and then all of a sudden you hear, paralyzed, you know. But the thing was, it, all of a sudden it's on laughing. I'm saying, wait a minute, we heard that on Wixie. It was the craziest, and Joe Finan was pushing that, you know. He was pushing that, and uh, Harper Valley PTA. Oh, yeah. Those were the two. I want to get to that song. more you know, questions that, that, if I we know. have. Go ahead. More questions. Can we get one question in before? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Mike, do you have a question over here, Mike? No one? If you have a question, just raise your hand. Okay, okay. Hustle up, Mike. Hey, man. <laughs> Hi, uh, what was the most defining moment that made you guys knew that Wixie was like the station in Cleveland and the whole planet? Was there a particular event or, or a promotion or even like a song? Yeah, for me, it was uh, the Wixie Christmas Parade. Where there was a hundred, as he said, a hundred more than a hundred thousand people down, and I'm in a car. You know, I'm from a I'm a music guy. I come from a record store, and all of a sudden I'm on Wixie, and there's a hundred thousand people yelling my name. It's like what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, do you remember that? Well, I think it was one of the final Wixie Christmas parades. They had the Jackson Five in back of a pickup truck. Yeah. So Michael Jackson's there with a snowman in back of a pickup truck. Amazing, really. No, I agree. I, I agree with both of them. It was the. Uh, the defining moment was the parade. And um, I mean, nobody could do what Wixie did. Right, no. But I do want to tell one story about. You mean one more story? Right? What, did, what, did, what did the you wild know, child we, do we, now? We played, we played 40 records, and they were all 45s. And they were in a row. And this was um, Marge Bush, the music director. She knew what every record was. And if you, got, if you took a record out of sequence, she would walk in and say, uh, isn't, the, isn't that supposed to be such and such? Well, I'm really cooking one day. I'm playing the Stones, the Beatles. And, I, and, and when we're on the air like that, you know, you're high as a kite, not on anything but just the music. And so I'm really cooking. And all of a sudden, here my next record is Roberta Flack. <laughs> the last time I saw your face or whatever that was. And I said to myself, I'm not playing that. I said, I'm really cooking. And so I skip Roberta Flack, and I put her, I take it off the top, I put it on the bottom, and here comes Marge Bush. 
she walks in the studio and she said, I have to ask you a question, Larry. Uh, isn't Roberta Flack the next record to be played? And I said, I don't know, I don't think so. She says, take a look on the bottom of your deck. <laughs> <laughs> she, was, she was that good. I mean, yeah. she knew every one of them. She was a lot kinder to you than me because she would call up on the hotline, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, she worked an 18-hour day, I'll tell you. Uh, any more questions out there before we wrap this up? Okay, we have one here. Well, <clears throat> uh, this question is for Billy. <laughs> I'm just wondering if I might get your phone number. Wow. Wait a minute. <laughs> you want my phone number? Yeah. I'd like your phone number. I, I, know I think num everybody knows my number. I don't know why you don't know my number. You know my number. You guys know my number, right? Well, let's sing it to her. Six, three, four. Beachwood, four, five, seven, eight, nine. All together. Beachwood, four, five, seven, eight, nine. And, and, and by the way, you can call me up and have a date any old time. Right. <laughs> Welcome to Dial-A-Date. On that note, uh, <laughs> um, one more, okay. You gotta, you gotta top that though. Okay, <laughs> quick, wait for the microphone. Okay. What did you guys get me? A Whipsy pennant popper? I know all about it, but uh, do, you, do you want me to tell you? Okay, well, maybe the biggest promotion that Wixie, other than the Beatles and some and the parades and stuff, uh, the this. The time that Wixie was playing top 40 music, none of the advertisers believed that Wixie 1260 had any adults listening at all. So Norm Wayne and, and the sales guys went to a place called Manners Big Boy. And they said, we got this great idea. We're gonna have this little orange ball, a little tenant topper, and what we'd like to do is have you, whenever, when people would come in to dinner, give them a little tenant topper with a number on it. It had six numbers on it. And then Wixie 1260, every 12 minutes and 60 seconds, would announce one of those numbers. And then if you had that number, then they would come back to Manners Big Boy and get a free dinner. So now, uh, so now we wanted to find out how successful that promotion was. We knew a lot of people were getting the Wixie tenant topper and going out and having dinner at Manor's Big Boy. So Norm Wayne decided one day, let's take three helicopters, and he said, and we'll travel around the shopping centers in Greater Cleveland and take pictures of all the cars. That promotion turned out to be the big, one of the biggest we ever did, because now they went to the advertising agencies and almost 100% of the cars in every shopping center had a big orange Wixie tenant topper. Wow. Which is really nuts, right? Because you put the, the, the Wixie thing on so you could find your car, except oh, yeah. every, every car had the Wixie. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Wow. Well, listen, uh, you know, got to wrap this up, but uh, give it up for these guys because... Well, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Troy. It's an honor having. Thanks to Mike Miller. Yeah, it's an honor having you guys, and and also the audience. You guys are great. Great questions. 
For anybody who wasn't able to attend, you can let them know uh, this is recorded as part of the CLE Rocks podcast for Cleveland.com, and we'll upload that episode tomorrow morning via Cleveland.com and get the word out on social so you can listen to this and let anybody know if they weren't able to make it that they can listen to it as well. I want to say just one thing before I leave. The, one of the biggest pleasures of my life you was mean to know one Billy. One more thing, Larry. No, <laughs> was 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 to know to, to know and work with Billy, and to know and, and work with Mike. Thank you, Larry. And Thank uh, you, and the uh, I don't think that I don't believe that there was anything in my life that had more of an impact than Wixie 1260. Here, so here. thank you all for listening. Thank you for all for being part. Thank of you, Larry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, thank you to everybody for coming out. Um, our next event is going to be on July 14th, and we have we're going even further back in radio from WHK. We have Johnny Holiday, who oh, is wow. flying in from Maryland. He hasn't been to Cleveland, he said, in 20 years, but he's coming in for that night. He's our guest. Uh, Michael Shesky will be here as well to keep me straight on the facts. For the further we go back, the little harder it gets for me. So it, that um, was WHK Color Radio. Remember the Color Radio <laughs> slogan? Yeah. So that, please, if you like this, come out to that event. Thank you so much. Uh, have a good night, and hope to see you guys next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you, sweetheart. Wonderstruck is coming to Cleveland. For this two-day music festival, see top artists including The Lumineers, Vampire Weekend, and more. Get your tickets now at wonderstruckfest.com.